Hebrews chapter 10, uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. I'm going to read through this passage, and then I'm going to share some things uh, based on this passage. I'm going to read differently today. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, simply because there is phrasing in the New King James that I, I really like, and I think it brings something out that the other translations don't. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Father, we just want to hear your words. We want to hear your voice. And Father, I pray indeed that that's what we would hear, not man's thoughts, not, uh, not anything that's going to be unhelpful, but Father, we want to just hear your voice, and we want to hear what you would say into this congregation today. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of what I want to say today, and there's a lack of presentation because I ran out of time to do all that side of things this week, but the title is Encourage One Another. Encourage One Another. Who likes to be encouraged? Some people are unsure. I think if you've not got your hand up, you really, really want to have your hand up because everybody likes to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. And so what I hope to do today is to encourage us, maybe not in the way that you expect, but I want to encourage you. I was cleaning the bathroom during the Christmas break. Who likes cleaning the bathroom? Not me, but it needed cleaned. And on the window ledge, on the window uh, ledge inside uh, in our bathroom, there was a little train, uh, one of these little snow globe trains, so there was the, the, the actual train itself, and then little carriages, and each of the little carriages was little snow globes. And I had to pick up every snow globe on its own, clean it off, put it back down with everyone. And as I picked it up, I was like, <laughs> the fun that you have was put it back down and went round and cleaned it all up. In fact, I actually borrowed a snow globe today from Dion, who's up in the creche, just to give you a little example. I'm going to put this somewhere where everybody can see it, okay? So I'm going to put it up here, and I'm going to give you a little example of what I was talking about. That's what I mean. And I was thinking about this as I was looking at the snow globe, and I watched as all the snow inside began to settle, okay? This one's a musical one. Oops. And it just made me think about our musical snow globes making music. Christmas. And so it goes on. <laughs> I did not expect that. But what I did there was I picked up the snow globe and I began to agitate it. 
And what I want to do today is to agitate you. Not in a bad way, okay? Because agitation, we think about getting agitated, and it's always with a negative connotation, isn't it? When we get agitated, who I get agitated sometimes. I get agitated when things don't work, when things are broken, and when I can't fix them. That really agitates me. But it's not that kind of agitation that I'm talking about. It's this kind of agitation that I'm talking about. It's about stirring each other up, stirring us up. And agitation, in one sense, can be a positive thing. Who likes to be stirred up? One or two people. Here's, here's the thing. Just like, just like this snow globe, everything that's inside that begins to settle. It's the force of gravity that pulls everything back down and makes everything settle. There are forces at work that cause it to settle. And I think that as Christians, we can become settled. I think the Holy Spirit wants to come at times and wants to agitate us and wants to stir us up, and He uses each of us to do that to the others who are around us, but our tendency is to come back down and to settle because we like to be comfortable. We like the status quo. We like to rest. And I'll tell you something, I have rested way too much over the Christmas holiday. I should have been out exercising. But we like to be at peace. We like to be at rest. But just as there are forces at work in the snow globe, there are forces at work that will actually cause us as people and as Christians to settle down to a place of rest. But I think, I think the Holy Spirit wants to come along today and to begin to agitate us, to begin to move us, to begin to stir some things up. Paul speaking to Timothy in that book that is written to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And what Paul was saying, if you look at the actual Greek language here, what he's, say, what he's not saying is that you've settled and you need to stir yourself up again. What he is saying is that you need to keep the fire burning. You need to keep it going. And it's, I think it's a message that God wants to say to us today. If you have settled, I think God wants to say to you, you need to get yourself unsettled. You need to get yourself stirred up. You need to fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. If you are stirred up, then you need to keep yourself stirred up because it's so easy to come and to settle down again. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul goes on to say, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of the elders laid their hands on you. And then, uh, one more time, which brings us back to our reading today, Hebrews 10.24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The New King James Version puts it this way, which is what we read. Let us consider which is about giving continuous care to. That's what the language that is used in the original uh, Greek is meaning. It means to give continual care to. Let us consider, let us give continual care to one another in order to stir up. And that word, that phrase stir up, actually means to provoke. 
We get a row for being provocative, don't we? We get a row for stirring each other up sometimes. But actually, that's what, that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. We need to provoke each other, but to what? To love and good works. Not to provoke each other to get annoyed and angry with each other, but to provoke each other, to stir each other up to love and good works. That's what the Bible is saying here. And from Hayford's Bible handbook, he talks about, uh, in his introduction to this book of Hebrews, he says the majority of early Christians were Jewish. Apparently, they expected Christ to return soon, but the delay in his coming and the persecutions against them caused them to wonder if they had made the right choice in becoming Christians. Consequently, they were in danger of returning to Judaism. And I'm going to come on to that and talk about that in a little bit more depth in just a little second. Imagine this the sense of urgency of the gospel. This sense of, do we have a sense of urgency about the gospel message, particularly as we wait on Jesus returning? The Bible says that He has come and that He will come again. Let's look back in the book of Acts when Jesus has ascended into heaven and the angels come and they speak to the disciples who are looking up. Remember, we talked about this you know, a few months ago, standing, looking up with their mouths wide open, like Michael Banks in the Mary Poppins film, right? Imagine these men, and the angels come and say to the men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And so there's an expectation that Jesus is coming back. And I can only imagine the zeal of the early church under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the living expectation of the imminent return of their Messiah. Not only that, but they'd experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says that when they were baptized in the Spirit, they began to speak in other languages. We heard a message in another language this morning, which was interpreted for us. And that same day that this happened, 3,000 people were added to the church. How would you feel if you had experienced God in such a powerful way? And on the same day, 3,000 people were added to the church. We needed to look for a different building because this building doesn't seat that many people. Imagine the excitement that you would feel. Imagine the excitement you would feel if, you know, Ten people became Christians and all came to church at the one time. But you see, the problem is that the further we get away from a moment like that, the less imminent the Messiah's return seems. And the real danger is that the urgency of the mission begins to dwindle and that we, as God's people, begin to settle. In fact, even in the early church, it took persecution to get them to go out. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then in the whole world. But they had stopped at Jerusalem. It was persecution that came that moved the church out into the surrounding area, and it took something like that. It took something like that to stir the church up and to not be settled. Can you imagine the questions that they might have been asking? 
the writer to the Hebrews, the questions that they might have been asking, where is he? The heat's getting turned up here, and for some people, that wasn't a metaphor. When is he coming back? When is he going to restore the kingdom? When is he going to take his position as the ruler of the whole earth? See, when there's a lack of urgency, our priorities shift. We turn to other things that seem more urgent but are actually less urgent. And this is one of the problems that the writer to the Hebrews is addressing. You see, as a result of the lack of urgency, they began to stop meeting together. And we've only read a small portion of the book of Hebrews, and uh, the, the author of the book remains unknown. There's no clear thought as to who would be the author. You see, the reason for reading it in the New King James is the way the text groups the passage. There's a subheading in the King James which says here, hold fast your confession. Hold fast your confession. Don't begin to settle. Don't begin to turn back to other things. And again, to go back into Jack Hayford's uh, introduction, he really addresses this as a first-century problem. Christians who have stopped meeting together, their urgency has uh, dwindled, and they began to, under persecution, think, really, is this worth it? Is this what I want to be doing with my life? And Jack Hayford writes this, the epistle was written to wavering Jewish believers, encouraging them to stand fast in their faith. The writer points out the overwhelming superiority of Christ over all that they had experienced under the law, their old way of doing things, the old covenant. Because what is offered through them, uh, to them through Christ is so much better, and they should never turn back. You see, the time that this book was estimated to have been written was around the time of Emperor Nero, and uh, Nero's the one that it talks about. You know, you've heard that phrase, fiddling while Rome burns. Well, whether Nero had a fiddle is very doubtful. I don't think the fiddle was invented then. Um, but the fact is that he set uh, the city on fire or part of it, and he actually blamed the Christians for doing so. And there was an intense persecution of Christians began. So it was written sometime in about that, but before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. See, a time when persecution is rising in the church, rising to new levels. And I just think... If we, we, we talk about the fact that we're persecuted, in this country we're not persecuted. Let me just say that. Because when you look at what happens in other countries, there are people who are persecuted to the point of death for their faith, okay? So let's not kid ourselves on. It might not be easy. It might not be everything that we want it to be. There might be laws which have been passed which we don't like, we disagree with, we think they're against the Word of God. But we're not really persecuted in this sense, and I think if we began to experience that kind of persecution, we would begin to understand what our faith is really all about and what it's based on. You've heard that phrase, the things that separate the men from the boys. There are things which separate us in our faith. The people who are going to stand firm in their faith and say, no, I don't have a, I don't have a plan B here. This plan A is the only plan. And then the people who think, mm, do I really believe this? Am I really prepared to die for this? And this is the problem that these people were faced with. This is why the writer to the Hebrews is addressing this issue. 
You see, he says in verse 25 about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The New Living Translation puts it this way, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His returning is drawing near. You see, for these people, perhaps under the heat of persecution, actually returning to the old covenant ways, the temple sacrifices and all the things that used to go on uh, in Judaism, the things which were accepted as part of the culture there, versus this new way, this new Christian way that the apostles were talking about, a a way that that brought life. Maybe, Maybe there was a temptation to say, actually, I quite like the old way because we felt safe there. We felt kind of like secure. There wasn't all this trouble and all this persecution. And you see, the problem is if we go back, if we go back, what we're tempted to do is to settle down. And that's not what God is wanting for His church. He's not wanting us to become settlers. He's wanting us to be people who go. And we've heard that come through this morning. Stephen addressed this same issue. You know, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. We read about him in the book of Acts and how he stood and he talked to the people who were accusing him. And he actually addressed this very issue of going back. He talked about their forefathers, which when they were coming out of Egypt and wandering through the the desert, we, we read about that in Exodus, says how the people wanted to go back to Egypt. What a What a testimony. Let's go back to that place where we were slaves, where we were mistreated, where we actually hated those who were oppressing us, and we wanted the Savior to come and deliver us. And along came a Savior, his name was Moses, and took the people out, and then they began to rebel against Moses. You think, what is it going to take to please these people? And Stephen addresses these issues in his speech, and they absolutely hate him for it. And they begin to pick up stones, and they begin to stone him. And as they're in the process of stoning him, it says that he looks up into heaven. Man, what a testimony. And he says something like what Jesus said when he was on the cross. He says, don't hold this against them. Absolutely incredible. Somebody who is prepared to stand amidst extreme persecution. Somebody who had been released from the old ways of doing things, the old covenant, and had experienced the life of Christ in his own life. It's very easy and it's very tempting to go back to the old ways. The question for us is, what are we tempted to go back to? Our old ways of doing things before we were a Christian? Our old habits? we know what they are. You know what your habits are, the old habits, the things that you're tempted to go back to. When a problem comes, and rather than solving the problem, your first reaction is to go, ah, or whatever your issue might be, to go back to the old way of doing things, old attitudes. There are old attitudes which have been part of our past, which are not doing us any good if we don't jettison them. We've got to press the eject button and get rid of the old attitudes rather than going back to them. What about old temptations? 
Have you ever experienced it where you've, you've been tempted by something and all of a sudden it stops becoming a temptation and you're like, yes, broke through, brilliant. And then you experience another temptation that was worse than the first one. You're like, ah, I'll just go back to the old one. Thank you. That wasn't quite so bad. And we can be tempted to go back all the time, tempted to go back and settle. But God doesn't want us to settle. He wants us to be stirred up. Don't make a noise. He wants us to be stirred up. You see, I I think that not meeting together for worship is a really important issue. It's one that was addressed to the early church, and for good reasons you could see why this could be an issue for the early church. Do you know, do you ever look at your neighbors and wonder what their Sunday morning looks like? Have you ever done that? I've been coming to church. I'm not ashamed to say how old I am. I'm 51 now. I've been coming to church since I was in the womb. My mom's not here today. She would testify to that. I don't remember it. And for me, on a Sunday morning, this is the place where I want to be. But I sometimes think what it must be like for my neighbors and those who are around about me. Time, wouldn't it be nice actually just to have some time for yourself? Time in the garden. Time for a long line, a lazy breakfast and a read of the paper. Time for family and going out, get some exercise. I know what it's like because I have stayed with Mary's family over many years. And that's what their Sunday morning was like. That's what their Sunday morning was like. I would stay with other of Mary's family and would be up and out to church, as is her habit. Do you ever kind of look sometimes at other people and think, actually, they've kind of got it easy. I wish my life was a wee bit more like that. Have you ever thought like that? No? Good. If you have, let me encourage you, okay? Listen to this. Psalm 73, verses 2 to 5. It's a psalm written by a man called Asaph. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, unlike mine. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with the problems like everyone else. You see, I think it's an altogether human way to think, to look at other people and to look at the easy lives that other people and not actually realize that their lives aren't easy either. Some people just appear to have easy lives. And the problem for us, if there is a problem, is that we can get stuck in looking at other people and the way they live their lives and say, actually, I'm going to have a wee bit of that. And we can get into the habit of irregular attendance at worship. You see, sometimes the weight of life makes us want to settle. Just as gravity makes the snow globe settle, it's settled again. I've got to keep coming back to that and stirring that up. Have you noticed that? It keeps settling down. You see, that's the problem. That is our problem, that we want to settle down all the time. We want to just be at peace. Leave me alone. Thank you very much. 
And we just want to do things our own way. Because our lives are busy. And we get enough of that stirring up going on during the week. And we're like, I want a wee rest at the weekend. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that there are six days for rest. That's six. I've got a problem with a stomach. It doesn't stick out. So when I actually mean five, it looks like four. Okay? Six days to do all the things that we need to do. And one day for rest. But it also talks about the Sabbath and how we should keep the Sabbath holy. Let me ask some simple questions. What is at the heart of why we gather as church? Is it for us? Why do we come? Why do we come to church on a Sunday? Is it for us? Is it about, is it about ourselves? Is it about comfort? Is it about friendship? Is it about support? And all of these things are good. We come to church because we want to be in fellowship with other believers. And we want to feel fellowship and support and friendship and, and that sense of belonging. But is church not about coming to worship God? Is that not why we're here? To worship the creator of the whole universe. And we come and some of us are here really, really early, the musicians, the guys who are setting up and sound and media and all that kind of stuff, here really early to get practiced and to get set up so that when we come together, we're ready to go and we lift up our songs, which are part of our worship to God. It's only part of it. Do you know that the way that we come into the car park is part of our worship to God? And whether or not you're going to shoot into that space before somebody else does, I saw that space first, and I'm going in there, okay? We worship God by all of these things. That Let's go back even further. What we did when we were in the house, the wee rammy that we had before we came out the door, how we come and prepare ourselves to come into God's presence together as family, how we do that is all part of our worship, that we come and we come to sing our songs of praise to God. Because He is worthy of our praise. What's more important? Let me ask another question. What is more important than coming to worship the Most High God? What's more important than that? Can anybody tell me anything that is more important than worshiping God? I can't think of anything that is more important than that. Because at the end of the day, we're here to worship Him. And if He's not at the center of what we're doing, then there's a problem. In the Times newspaper on the 28th of December, just the tail end of last year, there was an article entitled, Atheism is Down as UK Gets Spiritual. Interesting article, where they spoke to 1,660 people and asked them some questions about church attendance. And it says, and I quote, they found that the number of those going to church may have grown in the past year. The percentages were slightly up. They also found that people are attending less often, pointing to a generation of occasional worshippers. Do you know, I read that and I just thought, that's what the church is like in our country these days. A generation of occasional worshippers. It's a trend that's across the UK. It's not just one church, it's many churches. And yet, 
Here's some people in first century Christianity who are experiencing persecution and actually have a, a valid reason for not assembling together in one sense, if you think about it, because maybe they're at danger, maybe their family's at danger. You know, I think about this whole thing about persecution. I think, okay, what would I do? I think about that. What would I do if that was me in that place where I was given the ultimatum? You need to deny your faith or your life's going to end. What would I do if that was me? And that's a difficult question because we don't know what we would do until we were there. But then there's a worse question. There's a worse question. Imagine that was your kids in that position. And somebody says, you deny your faith or it's them that's going to get it. What would you do? So these people, in one sense, had a valid reason for getting to this place where they needed to be stirred up to keep meeting together. We don't. We do not have a valid reason for not meeting together as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, as a church family. And this is what Jesus started. Jesus started this thing that we call church. It was his idea that we meet together. We don't have a valid reason. We just don't have one. And we need to remember that church isn't just about us. I said there that the most important thing was worshiping God. But in this passage, we also read that we have an obligation, a responsibility towards each other. And let me ask you another simple question. How do you regard the other people in church? Do you feel a sense of responsibility to other people who are sitting around about you today? Do you feel a sense of responsibility? What about the needs of other people? And what the, the, the writer to the Hebrews says, and I think he speaks to us all these hundreds of years later, verse 24 of chapter 10, and let us consider which is continuous care, continuous, not just when we feel like it, but continuous care. Let us consider one another in order to stir up. Let me come back to the snow globe again. It's settled again. <laughs> Stirring it up in a good way, provoking each other to love and good works. Let me ask another question. Do you see yourself as part of a missional community that is commanded to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations? Do you see yourselves as part of a missional community that is commanded to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations? Do you see yourselves as part of that community? Do you see yourselves as having a responsibility in the family of God to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations? Or do we think that's the job for the professionals? And I'm not talking about Bodie and Doyle, for those who are old enough to remember that. <laughs> Some people are. You're too young, Kathleen. Definitely too young. 
You see, it's not just a job for the professionals. This is what the church is called to do. This is what we read in the Scripture. This is Jesus' great commission to the disciples, and that commission has been passed down and handed down through the generations to the church today to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have shown you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's no going back for the disciples. There's no going back to the old way. They've experienced that. They've said, well, we've done that whole denying Jesus thing, okay? Peter, he'd had enough of it. I've done that before. I'm not going to do that again. The other disciples, the nine, well, Judas, we all know what he did, okay? He was a really bad boy. But the other nine, they deserted Jesus as well. And they're like, we're not going to desert him again. We can't do that. He's asked us to wait in Jerusalem, something's going to happen, and then we're going to take it from there. There's not a plan B. There's no going back. There's no alternative. It's about waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and we read in Acts how they were filled with the Spirit, and how that day 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. There's no going back. I don't know about you, as tempted as I am sometimes to go back. Do you know God actually spoke to me about that when I came into ministry in the church? He actually spoke to me specifically using the words that Stephen said. And what God said to me was, don't go back to Egypt. And I knew what he was saying. He was saying, don't go back. Don't be tempted in your mind to go back to the old things. When the trouble comes, when it gets tough, don't be tempted to go back and go for the easy life and go for the, oh, it's settled down again. It's settled down again. Don't be tempted to go back to settling but get yourself stirred up and get other people stirred up because we live in a world that's full of people who need to hear the gospel. And my challenge is that for many of us, we've lost the urgency of the gospel because we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for a church and he's coming back. If we read the Bible, we can certainly think he's coming back soon. White Christmas or not. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back, back for a church. He's coming back for a bride, and he's looking for a bride that's ready, that's spotless, that's ready to meet him. Let's not lose that sense of urgency as the early disciples that this writer of the Hebrews had to write to and say, stop, just stop. You need to keep meeting together. Don't go back to your old ways, despite the persecution. Keep coming, keep worshiping, keep serving, keep getting involved in God's plans for this world. As far as I'm concerned, I don't have a plan B. I can't go back. There's nothing for me to go back to. I don't have an alternative. I don't have a plan B. And today we need to consider each other. Verse 24, let me go back to it. We need to consider, which is continuous care, not just when we feel like it. Continuous care. We need to give continuous care to one another in order to stir up, to provoke each other to love and good works. It's settled again. How quickly it settles. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how quickly it settles? We need to keep stirring each other up. This is why I think it's so important to regularly meet together as church. Are we tempted to settle? 
You see, I'm here to agitate you today. That's what my job is today, is to agitate you. Not to noise you up and upset you, but to agitate you, to stir up something that God is maybe saying to you today. This is a time of year when we look back at the year that's been 2018. We've put a full stop at the end of that, okay? That's finished. If there are things in 2018 that have disappointed you and you've said, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, said that, blah, 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 or I wish I'd done this, that, the next thing, well, that's gone. This is a time of the year where we go, well, maybe I can do something different this year. Maybe this is the year where I finally get fit. Maybe this is the year where I lose those pounds that I've put on over Christmas. Maybe this is the year where I go and get some more exercise or, or, or meet people or do whatever, that thing that you've been planning to do for years and have never got around to. And this is the time of the year where we go, well, that's, that's the full stop against 2018. This is 2019. We've got a new start and we're going to do some things differently. And how quickly, how quickly we get into the year and we find ourselves in February and we've not exercised and we've not lost the weight and we've not met the people that want to meet. I don't do New Year's resolutions. They're pointless. What for me is important, and I think what for us is important as a church, is to allow the Word of God to find a place in our heart and to allow it to take root and for us to actually do something with what God is saying to us. We have been given a commission to go, not to settle. And we have to stir each other up. I'm here to remind us today that we are a missional community that is commanded to go. I'm here today to remind each one of us of the importance of the Christian community, which is of greater concern to God sometimes than it is to us. Do you want to be part of that missional community? Do you want to be part of something that's making a difference in this world? You know, as I read, and I had it in my notes, but for the sake of time, I didn't go into it. But read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. It paints a picture of a church that I want to be part of. I want to be part of a church that's where it says, I'm going to read it anyway. Okay, we've got some time. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, coming together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, every day, listen to this, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the kind of church that I want to be part of. I would be so encouraged if that's the type of church that you want to be part of as well. And together, we'll be part of God doing something that is transformational in this community. But it's not going to happen unless we stir each other up, unless we provoke each other. It's settled again. How many times have I had to do this? Even in... <laughs> I wish I'd got a quiet one, Dion. Can you hear me? It's making noise. <laughs>
We've got to keep doing it because our tendency is to settle. That's what we tend towards as human beings, and we need to come together to stir each other up. Let's just pray. Musicians, maybe you could come back up. Let's just bow our heads and and prayer for a little minute. Uh, while the musicians come back up and we're going to pray over what God has been saying through his word today. Father, I am so excited about the possibilities and the potential that lies within this room today. Father, I am so excited about the way that you answer prayer, about the way that we see your hand at work Father, about the things, even sometimes the things which discourage us, how you can come and you can change our minds and our attitudes about those things. And Father, you call us today to be a missional community, a missional community that is given the responsibility, in fact, the command to go and to go into all the world. And Father, we realize that that starts the minute we walk out the door of the church. Father, to go into all the world whether it's Whitburn, West Lothian, Scotland, or further afield. And Father, you have called us to be your church. You have called us to be part of something that is far greater than we could ever imagine. And Father, this is our moment on the planet to be part of what you're doing. And Lord, I pray that you would stir us up, that you would help us to stir each other up, to provoke each other, to have that continuous care over each other, that we might be just provoked to love and to good works. Father, your word says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. And Father, we also read that you have prepared works for us before the very foundation of the earth you had good works that you had prepared for us to walk in, to put them into practice before, before, we, before we were even in existence. You had plans for us. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to move into those plans today. Do you know, I'm going to ask us to respond today. And if you want to be part of this missional community if you want to be part of what God is doing, if you want to be stirred up to good works and to love, if you want to put into practice the things which have been spoken about today, then I'm going to ask just now that you stand as we pray a prayer of dedication over this church at the start of the year. Father, we recognize that as we stand and as we prepare ourselves to go, that we don't go in our own strength. We've already heard that verse quoted this morning, that it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And Father, we pray that through your Spirit, we would find our way into those works which you have planned for us. Father, we pray for this fellowship at the start of 2019. Lord, that you would do a new thing in this fellowship. Lord, we have already seen these things spring up. And Father, we believe in what you're doing. We believe in you.
And Father, we thank you that you have given us each other to have fellowship with one another so that we may stir each other up and provoke one another to good works. And Father, we pray that you would do something new in this fellowship as we begin this year. Father, that you would do something which only you can do. Father, something that when people look at it, they recognize the hand of God upon it. And so, Father, I pray for every person who's standing, for every family which is represented. Lord, may we know your grace and strength this year. Lord, where people need healing in their bodies, we pray that you would bring healing. I pray particularly for Mary today again. Lord, I ask that you bring healing into her body, Father. But Lord, I thank you that despite her physical difficulties, she continues to love you and to serve you and to be prepared to go wherever you ask her to go. But Lord, we pray that you give her the physical strength to do all that is in her heart to do. Lord, for others who need a touch in their body today, Lord, may this be the year where they experience that special touch from you. Father, where we begin to see your hand at work doing strange and wonderful things. Father, as we read in the book of Acts about how the apostles did many miraculous signs. In fact, we even read about Paul who did extraordinary miracles. Father, we pray that we would just see some ordinary miracles. Lord, we just want to see you at work. And Lord, that's why we're standing today, because we're giving ourselves to you and to your purposes and to your kingdom. And Lord, we will say again, as we've prayed many, many times, may your kingdom come. May your will be done upon this earth, upon this fellowship, upon this community, upon our lives, upon the lives of everyone who's standing here today. Father, may we know your kingdom come, your will be done. And Father, we just pray that everything would be done in your strength, under your guidance, Father, so that you would receive all the glory. So Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And Lord, we pray now that as we sing our closing song, as we take up an offering, as we take up tithes, Father, as we worship you through giving, Lord, we pray that you would bless our giving. And Lord, may the giving of our finances be multiplied in the, just in the, the health and life of this church and the work that you want to do. So Father, we pray, help us even today as we gather together later today to pray for the church and the various ministries. Lord, we pray that you would keep your hand upon us. May we know your strength and peace. And may we know you at work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.